Welcome to the Omfair Podcast. Hello and welcome to the OMFIF Podcast. I'm Taylor Pierce, Senior Economist at OMFIF. Here with me today is my colleague Neil Williams, Chief Economist of OMFIF, to discuss the UK's Spring 2023 budget. Over the past several years, the UK has faced a series of negative shocks, some exogenous and others self-inflicted. The pandemic obviously presented significant challenges, which we're still feeling the effects of, particularly in the labor market. Inflation figures also remain stubbornly high, and we're only now starting to feel the full impacts of the UK's exit from the European Union. This all in addition to the market turmoil triggered by last fall's mini-budget announcement. In the IMF's January World Economic Outlook, the UK was actually the only advanced economy with a negative growth forecast with an even worse outlook than Russia for this year. So all this to say, policymakers in the UK find themselves in an increasingly difficult position when it comes to ensuring both a stable and a growing economy. Neil, can you start by explaining why setting the UK's latest budget was so challenging? Yes, well, thank you, Taylor. Well, I I suppose there's no easy time for a finance minister or chancellor of the Exchequer to deliver a budget, but I would say this is probably one of the more difficult ones. Uh, The balancing act that uh, Jeremy Hunt had in front of him was on the one hand to convince financial markets that he was patching up the fiscal hole uh, left by the threat of unfunded tax cuts by his predecessor last September. Yet on the other hand, offer something that could aid growth and avoid the recession that we're skirting that you mentioned. The good news is that the Chancellor started the day with about £30 billion more in the fiscal coffers than he thought he had in his November autumn statement, partly because the economy had done a little less badly into a relatively mild Northern Hemisphere winter. But with financial markets watching, he was probably right to use little more than two-thirds of that windfall in targeted measures to help growth, with the rest being put in his back pocket, as it were, to help short-term fiscal repair. How did he approach the repair? Well, by sticking to his guns largely on previously announced tax increases, freezing personal tax thresholds, selected spending cuts, uh, and also following through on, on a higher corporation tax rate. To do otherwise, really, in financial markets, would have risked another leap in market interest rate expectations Uh, that last November, the Bank of England uh, had announced it was the largest inter-forecast jump they had witnessed since the Monetary Policy Committee uh, had been set up over two decades ago. So the benefit of this prudence, aided by slightly better growth and tax revenue projections than he was anticipating, is in effect to sort of massage down over the the medium term to 2027-28 the public sector government debt ratios uh, having said that, though, the health warning is these are still close to post-war highs. They're still excessive and more work is needed down the line uh, to avoid this debt becoming troublesome. Right. That makes sense. Thanks for laying out some of the short-term measures. What was Hunt able to do to help growth? Well, there were bits and pieces that he could offer. He used, as I say, about two-thirds of the, the windfall selectively in various ways uh, to assist demand. And also the big theme for this uh, budget, break down the barriers, as he calls it, that prevent people from going back to work. And he he cited the needs to get about 7 million adults of working age back into the workplace. The various measures included extending the energy support package to July, after which uh, he and the government are expecting 
wholesale gas prices globally to start to fall. Now, this this is already factored into the Bank of England's forecast that they produced uh, in November. Additionally, there will be some more general capital allowances for companies to offset that rise in the corporation tax rate. Also, extra spending on investment zones, a more generous uh, treatment of pension allowances, and also the uh, one of the big themes, free childcare for working parents. And he's hoping to attract about 60,000 more into employment. And these are the, the sort of uh, supply side measures that monetary policy can't really get to grips with. So th those really at, at the margin should be fairly helpful. But the, the absence of other measures really should do little to sort of convincingly lift the UK from the verge of that recession that you're referring to. For what it's worth, the Office of Budget Responsibility, that uh, is the watchdog behind the government uh, fiscal forecasts, is now discounting a technical GDP recession. Also, inflation is expected to now more than half by the end of this year, which sounds encouraging. But of course, part of the reason for that is a harder hit to the economy from higher interest rates that we were looking at a year ago. And as a result, the OBR is now admitting that on their assumptions, the, uh, the, the tax burden really will go up, uh, not down, through the forecast period 2027-28. And what we're likely to see uh, potentially is the, the, the hardest fall in real household disposable incomes as a result of this higher tax burden since, since records began in the mid-1950s. So... Lower inflation is going to be certainly good news politically. Uh, the Prime Minister Sunak has staked his reputation on getting inflation down, halving it between now and Christmas next year. But it comes at a cost, and there are two main uh, things to look out for. The first one is that exactly as you say, uh, the UK is going to struggle to get from the, the bottom of the international league table of the major economies for growth. It's still one of the main economies to yet completely catch up with the GDP lost going into COVID. And secondly, it does mean that by not having too much generosity on fiscal giveaways at this stage, the Chancellor is handing extra political capital to his opposition, which is one reason why the leader of the opposition Labour Party, uh, Sakia Starmer, was quick to label the Chancellor's budget as a, and I quote, doom loop of lower growth, higher taxes. So it was a useful budget, but politically, uh, it may have only marginal help presentationally to uh, the government at this stage. Definitely sounds like mixed outlook. So what is the outlook for public finances and will it matter? Well, it, I, I think it will in the longer term. This is something that, that certainly I worry about, uh, but on the macroeconomic outlook, there are plenty of things, obviously, globally to worry about. Even with the mix of the Chancellor's sort of targeted help measures and the, the, the fiscal prudence that he announced, on the 15th of March, you know, UK fiscal borrowing and debt re remains high over the medium term. The Chancellor has done a good job of patching up the hole left by his predecessor Quarteng in terms of promising those unfunded tax cuts. But, you know, the Chancellor will admit the finances have deteriorated noticeably since the uh, budget that we had a year ago, uh, curiously, from uh, Sunak, who is now, of course, uh, Prime Minister. Compared to March 2022, the, the OBR now expects that the total net public sector borrowing to GDP, in effect, the, the deficit out to 2026-27, to be a cumulative, a total almost eight percentage points higher 
than was expected at the time. So that's what on average to about two percentage points a year worse than expected this time last year. And this is only partly because of the lower assumptions for nominal GDP. They're down less than one percentage points on average per year. So despite the patch up since November, uh, which is good news on the fiscal front, the, the, the global finances for the UK have deteriorated sharply still uh, since a year ago. Do, does it matter well, that the net debt position is still high? Net debt is now bigger than the economy. It's about 103% of GDP, which means it's both significantly higher and will peak out later than the 96% peak that, that we had hoped for at this time last year. And secondly, does it matter? Well, even after the budget, these net debt, the total stock of debt ratios to GDP for the UK are around three times Japan's when Japan in the mid-1990s entered its lost decade of growth. Now, Japan gets away with it because not only is all of its debt denominated in, in a currency can print, yen, but almost all of that, 97%, is held by domestic investors, who I would argue perhaps are going to be less sensitive to yield and foreign currency ratings. In the UK, 40% of UK market-held debt is held internationally, and so absorbing that going forward may hinge more on such things as yield, currency and ratings considerations than it did in Japan. So looking forward, I have to say that, that the hard work on UK debt reduction really may await whoever is in power after the next general election, probably in 2024. And in the meantime, it really will be revealing how concerns about debt, inflation and UK growth will affect central bank reserve managers' investment intentions one to two years out when our much-awaited uh, survey of these uh, is released this June. Great. Well, thanks so much, Neil, for discussing the growth, inflation, and financing outlook for the UK this year. For more analysis on the UK's budget and growth prospects, be sure to check out Neil's commentary. UK budget patches a whole, but borrowing outlook much tougher, which can be found on the OnFIF website. Also, be sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever podcasts are available. Thank you for listening to the OnFIF podcast.